Marvelites, and welcome to episode 240 of This Week in Marvel. This is your official Marvel podcast for all things, well, Marvel. Comics, movies, TV, games, the whole enchilada. My name is Ben Morse. I am the editorial director of the Marvel Digital Media Group, and I am flying solo. I'm the only one here. Well, not counting Josh, faithful intern. How you doing, Josh? Good. How are you doing, man? You know, a little overwhelmed. There's a lot to uh, there's a lot to cover here on the podcast today. And like I said, I'm flying solo. You know, if you're flying solo and you're looking for something to do this weekend, you want to go to the movies, you want to go to some of your favorite stores and pick stuff up, use the Marvel MasterCard. That is the preferred way for Marvel fans to get their their best rebates and whatnot and support Marvel in the process. So go to marvel.com. We got plenty of information of it up on it. Get the Marvel MasterCard. Use it today. Uh, Ryan was sick, and now he is on location. So there was no time to get him in to do his end of the podcast this week. And there was also it was a short enough notice that I didn't get a replacement. So I am going to just challenge myself to tell you guys about every comic that came out this week. I'm going to tell a talk about the ones that came out in print, the ones that came out digitally. We'll do a little bit of news, and then I'm going to throw it over to Strami and the Wolfman, who are finally going to be doing the next This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club for Modox 11 Supervillain Team Up. But the most challenging part of this is I've got to start, I've got to review all these great comics that came out. And we're going to start with A-Force number 6, written by Kelly Thompson. Beautiful art by Ben Caldwell. Inks and finishes by Scott Hanna. Colors by Ian Herring. The A-Force has been captured by the Countess, this evil, brainwashing, medieval, came over from Battleworld, wants to do some nasty stuff. There's two Dazzlers. One's a Thor. They've lost their powers. Medusa's hair is all messed up. She-Hulk gets into kind of a taunting war with the Countess and Nico, who's under the control of the Countess, is not helping her friends at all. She's hurting them. She-Hulk goes crazy. She hulks out. Then Caldwell gets to draw a bunch of cool stuff. There's a lot of neat fights between A-Force and other people. And the Countess is shaping up to be a pretty cool villain. So we'll see where she goes from there. Road to Civil War II. We got all new Wolverine number nine, written by Tom Taylor. Art by Marcio Takara, colors by Matt Lopes. As you may recall last issue, All New Wolverine was sent on a mission to try to take down Fin Fang Foom, stop him from crashing the Shield Helicarrier. Yeah, right, the Shield Helicarrier always crashes every time we see it, so it's a pretty good bet it's going to happen here. Lots to do with pheromones. Iron Man and Captain Marvel both show up for a team-up. Great homage to Wolverine from uh, the Hellfire Club saga, where he's in his, uh, you know, in the sewer pose. Laura gets to do that at this point. Old Man Logan is also in the mix here, as is Gap. Abby, the younger sister of X-23, sort of younger sister, the clone younger sister. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in this issue. I continue to enjoy how Tom Taylor is making Laura a different kind of Wolverine. She's tough, but she's a good time, too. Um, fun with jetpacks. And the interaction between Laura and Old Man Logan doesn't really start till the end of the issue. So we've got more to look forward to as that continues to tie into Civil War. All new, all different Avengers number 10, written by Mark Wade, art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Dave McKegg. I love this issue. The bulk of it is just the Avengers on a bootleg spaceship because they can't afford a good spaceship anymore. So they've got this basically just this rusted up, cracked up 
piece of junk that is running on the power of Thor's hammer. And while they're in there, um, they just they just banter. It's just cool character building moments with Kamala and Miles and Sam Alexander, uh, Tony Stark with Kamala, um, Vision, uh, Falcon who is Captain America now, they get a lot of good pages just to kind of show off their personalities and how they interact with each other. And Mark Wade is great at this stuff. Then they land on a planet. There's a challenge. There's this weird phenomenon that they have to fight. It might be impossible to fight. In the middle of all this, we get a little new, more with the new Wasp and Jarvis going to meet the original Wasp, Janet Van Dyne. And then we find out where our heroes are trapped and it's no good for anybody who wants to be involved in that. Amazing Spider-Man number 13, written by Dan Slott, art by Giuseppe Camuncoli, inks by Cam Smith, colors by Marte Gracia. This is another funny book. Uh, you know, we call them funny books sometimes, Josh, but some of these are legitimate funny this week. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man has some very serious stuff with Regent continuing to establish himself as a hero. That is a thread that continues through here. Uh, he is up to some crazy stuff. He takes down Orca, the killer whale, and then eventually meets up with our heroes. But the big what's going on here is um, we've got Spider-Man showing up to have kind of like a little play date with Miles Morales, who he has taken under his wing. And Iron Man's there because they were hanging out after an Avengers meeting. And Spider-Man and Iron Man just do not get along. Uh, Iron Man says some nasty stuff about Peter Parker. That's enough to get Spider-Man hot under the collar. He goes after it. Um, in the midst of all this, I mentioned Regent. There's a really fun scene with Harry Osborn, Mary Jane Watson, and Betty Brant where they um, put together a bunch of loose clues that this guy, uh, the Augustus Roman, He's really regent. They literally just need to see like two things. I'm not going to spoil what they are. And just the way they they agree that, oh, yeah, he's definitely regent because they've all seen so many people in super powered costumes in secret. Like secret identities are nothing to them. They bust right through it. The regent storyline and the Iron Man and Spider-Man fighting over Miles storyline end up crashing together. Miles gets captured They're The two guys are now going to have to team up to save him. It was going to be a challenge because they are not getting along. Contest of Champions number nine, written by Al Ewing, art by Roald Marcellius and Paco Medina with Juan Velasco, colors by Andrew Crossley. Another great comic. Um, we go to a world where Civil War didn't really well. It's it's been five years since the end of the superhero civil war and things turned out very differently for this world uh we've got iron patriot tony stark is the leader of the avengers and he's also the president thunderstrike who's the clone of thor penance captain marvel carol danvers and then iron spider natasha romanoff so black widow wearing the iron spider costume we've got a resistance force with captain america leading a whole bunch of characters it's a really neat little what if uh maestro the future Hulk swings in from Battleworld, collects up the Avengers. He's got this ragtag group of heroes that he's trying to deal with. They're the last thorn in his side, that being Bullseye, Ares, Outlaw, White Fox, Guillotine. They are still out there wandering around his world. He wants to deal with it. So he brings in these Civil War Avengers to fight them. It's really fun. Um, it's well drawn and it's just a perfect action comic this is such a fun comic um this is the penultimate issue i'm gonna miss it but you know these things happen and contest of champions has an excellent run 
Next up, Deadpool number 13, which is very interesting because Deadpool number 13 is four comics within one. That's right. We've got Deadpool number 13, but then we've also got, as I flip the pages to find it, Daredevil number 7.1. We've got Power Man and Iron Fist number 4.1, and then Deadpool 13.1. It's one big jam issue. It's four issues in one. It's a crossover where Deadpool has trying to help out a petty criminal who's trying to save himself from the mob. It's written by Jerry Duggan, by Charles Soule, by David F. Walker. It's got art by Jacopo Kimogni, uh, Endo Bondock, Paco Diaz, and a whole bunch of others. I, I, it's a fun adventure. I gave it to a buddy of mine who loves Deadpool, and you know, you'll get a kick out of it. Daredevil-Deadpool interaction's a great time. Uh, Typhoid Mary getting in there, and her past with Deadpool is interesting. Uh, you've got Power Man and Iron Fist continuing to redefine the laws of cursing. Good stuff and great value. $9.99, but it's four comics in one. Check that one out. Invincible Iron Man number 10, The Road to Civil War continues. We've got Brian Michael Bendis writing this one, Mike Diodato on art, Frank Martin on colors. Mm, some bad stuff going on with Tony Stark, who gets kidnapped, and Rhodey has to try to find him. Tony Stark has gone undercover to learn more about this new villain who is vexing him. Meanwhile, Mary Jane has a run-in with Friday at Stark Industries. Is she going to take the job? We, like I said, get to meet a new villain. Tony is undercover, uh, War Machine doing his thing, and a new hero as well. So new characters abound in the pages of Invincible Iron Man. Moon Knight number three, written by Jeff Lemire. Art by Greg Smallwood, color art by Jody Belair. We continue the adventure with Mark Spector in an insane asylum. He's now got all his allies at his side, Crawley, Frenchie, Marlene, the whole gang. And they're trying to break out. But the question is, were they really in an insane asylum? Is it some sort of scheme by Moon Knight's villains to try to put him down? It's all very trippy. Uh, the art is very gritty. And I think you really appreciate what Greg Smallwood has to do here. I love how this book is making me think. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if they are really dealing with Egyptian gods or if they're dealing with people in crazy masks. Uh, having the supporting cast there is cool. It's almost like a classic Moon Knight adventure crossed with something very, very different. I think anyone who has ever liked Moon Knight or just loves great comics will enjoy it. Old Man Logan, number seven, also written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino, and colors by Marcelo Maiolo. This is the conclusion to Border Town, and uh, I'll warn right now, this is not for the squeamish. It is incredibly bloody. It is incredibly violent. Andrea Sorrentino draws the heck out of it. It's Logan against the Reavers, and then it's Logan against Lady Deathstrike in a brutal one-on-one -on -one to save the life of Logan's future wife. What Logan will do to ensure the safety of this girl is crazy. Um, and we find out the consequences of Wolverine interfering in this life and living in this town. Speaking of books that are not for the week of heart, we've got Punisher number two, written by Becky Cloonan, art by Steve Dillon, colors by Frank Martin. Punisher is on the road. He is pursuing drug dealers. He's got people from the gang pursuing him. They're using these crazy super soldier drugs to make themselves a threat to him. We get Punisher doing his bare bones best. He's got very little equipment with him. He's got just what he needs, and he is trying to get things done. He's also got the good guys after him as well 
well. So who knows what's going to happen to the Punisher? Everyone's going after him. And uh, really shocking last page. Spider-Woman number eight, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez. Spider-Woman finally getting back on track after the events of Spider-Women goes after Tiger Shark, who is living in New York City and has an awesome apartment. Uh, so Spider-Woman goes and kind of messes with his apartment. Um, we get a, some fun battle scenes. We get the stuff at home where she's still dealing with her new kid and she's got Porcupine babysitting him. She tries to multitask. Porcupine gets annoyed. It's fun. It's funny. It's a great take on Spider-Woman. I love this book. I love this character and i love what dennis hopeless is doing with her and speaking of spider women that story concludes in spider women omega written by dennis hopeless jason latour and robbie thompson um dennis hopeless took the lead writing here nico leone is the artist rachel rochelle rosenberg is on colors this is the conclusion to the big adventure featuring spider woman spider gwen and silk over on spider woman spider woman gwen stacy's planet they're dealing with the evil cindy moon it's going to take all three Spider-Women working together. Take this out. They've all learned stuff about themselves. Uh, it's pretty cool because the evil Silk has all these weapons that she's taken from the Marvel Universe. So that makes it twice as uh, tough to beat her. And then our Silk comes up with a way to counter that. It's just good action. And I'm, 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 I really enjoyed this crossover. And I'm psyched because it tees up some relationships we can really have some fun with these three characters can continue to interact they continue to go on adventures together and they can just be a cool part of the marvel universe last but not least we got x-men 92 number four written by chris sims and chad bowers art by lt fermancia color art by matt mila this is the conclusion of the x-men's war with alpha red aka dracula's kid it is so much fun, you guys. Uh, it's the X-Men, the way they were meant to be. Uh, we got vampires. We got the Danger Room. We've got Generation X characters. We've got X-Men turned into vampires. Got Dracula against his son. We've got uh, a meeting of the minds using Cerebro inside Dead Girl's head. We've got the Darkhold Dwarf who showed up in Carnage last week, and we were wondering who he is, showing up here as well, potentially becoming the uh, must-see character of 2016. Um, we got the upstarts. We've got shout-outs to the 92 animated series, of course. Just a fun, rollicking comic book. And that is it, Josh. We covered all the books. We got it done. Twim of the week. Oh, the one thing I didn't mention is Civil War 2 number one is out this week. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty big one to forget, but I didn't forget it. I just don't have a copy with me because it's pretty much as top secret as it gets. You guys have all read it at this point. Uh, it's written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by David Marquez. Huge first issue, really big stuff. I won't spoil it, but Iron Man, Captain Marvel, they disagree on something involving the Inhumans. Uh, we have a very salient argument where both sides definitely have some points. Um, there's big changes that occur in there. Major sacrifices are made. I'm going to let you guys read Civil War 2 and then tell me what you think of it and get back to us. But do check that out this week. Uh, my Twim of the Week, man, 
all new, all different Avengers was a lot of fun. Um, Deadpool, four comics in one. That's hard to beat. X-Men 92 is always strong. Spider-Woman's always strong. Moon Knight's always strong. I'm going to go with Contest of Champions number nine, though. It's a really good issue of that book. Um, Paco Medina's art is very strong. I like the idea of using these Civil War characters from kind of another universe. It tickled my what-if appeal. So I'm going to go with Contest of Champions as my Twim of the Week. Joshua, what are you looking forward to reading? Uh, everything Deadpool 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 4 and 1 good call man that's a that's a great value you're a smart young man Um, what else we got we have collections on sale we've got Secret Wars Last Days of the Marvel Universe in hardcover Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu Omnibus Volume 1 in hardcover Spider-Woman Volume 1 Baby Talk that's a good one Squadron Supreme Classic Omnibus hardcover it's like every major Squadron Supreme story ever I looked this up I really want it Uh, if you want to use your Marvel MasterCard and get it from me as a gift I deserve it Stan Lee Marvel Treasury Edition slipcase in hardcover and Star Wars Droids and Ewoks Omnibus in hardcover in addition to all the stuff I already discussed which is on the app this week we've also got the Daredevil Punisher Seventh Circle Infinite Comic. Also on the Marvel app, Black Panther 2009 volume, issues number 7 through 12, Cable number 78, Incredible Hulk number 410 through 439, digital collections on sale, Avengers, Vision and the Scarlet Witch, A Year in the Life, Black Panther, Power, Defenders, Indefensible, Iron Man, Industrial Revolution, Secret Wars, Last Days of the Marvel Universe, Spider-Woman, Volume 1, Baby Talk, Vengeance of the Moon Knight, Volume 2, Killed, Not Dead, and Weapon X, Days of Future Now. Finally, over on Marvel Unlimited, your freshly digitized comics this week are Chewbacca, Number 4, Darth Vader, Number 13, Groot, Number 6, Guardians of the Galaxy, Number 2, Guidebook to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel's Incredible Hulk, and Marvel's Iron Man 2, that's a flip book, Hail Hydra, Number 4, Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. number two, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man, Spider-Verse number one, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number one, S.H.I.E.L.D. number 12, Silk number one, Silver Surfer number 15, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number two, and Venom Space Knight number one. Let's pause here and go over to the newsroom where we'll have some news. And we're back, and we've got news. This is where Ryan would normally ask me for the news, but he's not here, so I'll ask myself, Ben, what's going on in the news? Uh, In comics, Marvel Now is making its comeback. But if you think you know what Marvel Now means, you don't. Uh, We use the tagline, you think you know the rest of the story. But believe me, you don't. It's going to be a very different kind of Marvel Now. It's coming in the fall of 2016, but we will have much more on it before then. And over in games, uh, as exclusively announced on Thwip, the big Marvel show, Kate Bishop is now available in Marvel Puzzle Quest. So you now have a variety of Hawkeyes to choose from. And that's all we got for now. Uh, I think there'll be lots more news over with Strami and the Wolfman. They've also got the This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club for you, covering Modox 11. So I am going to say goodbye. Thank you guys for tuning in. And stay tuned for the rest of the episode. Over to you guys. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's Hello the there, this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com Air, Mark Strom, joined by... Marvel.com assistant editor, Patrick Cavanaugh. For another thrilling installment of the Strummy and the Wolfman show, starring the Wolfman and Strummy. Thankfully, I'm... Was, was I alone last week? Or yeah. I was? You were in Chicago still? Yep. Okay. Well, we're back. 
I bet you're really glad that's not just me prattling into a microphone by myself. Uh, not much news this week. We did announce that um, Legion will be going to series at FX Networks. That will be premiering early 2017. Um, an eight-episode first season from creator uh, Noah Hawley, right? Well, I almost said Nick Hawley, but that's wrong. It's Noah Hawley. Okay. Patrick, Patrick has no idea. From Noah Hawley, who does um, Fargo. Um, he's doing the uh, upcoming, um, or at least it's been announced or something, that he's doing uh, Cat's Cradle adaptation for FX as well. Have you watched Fargo, Patrick? Uh, I've not caught up with season two, but season mm. one, yes. I enjoyed season two. It's it's very strange. They're like it's almost fifty fifty split between like people who say they like season one more than season two, and people who they say they like season two more than season one. I'm in the season two camp. I really liked season one or season two. Season one was good, but season two I thought was uh was uh truly stellar. Yeah, but season two doesn't have Bob Odenkirk in it. That's true, but it does have um, what's his face Jesse Plemons from Friday Night Lights and Breaking Bad. It's got Christian Dunst. It's got um, from Melancholia. From from Melancholia, yes, my favorite movie. If you're a fan of Melancholia, check out Fargo season two. Uh, you know it has some similar dark, depressing undertones. Um, uh. Got lots of guns. It's got it's got Ted Danson. It's got why are we talking about Fargo for this long? You are talking about Fargo for anyway, this long. Anyway, all right. So Legion coming uh, early 2017 to FX. Keep an eye out for that. I think that might pretty much cover all of our news. Yep. Wow, that was a short edition. We're just gonna go straight into Twim U R C. Hey, Patrick, do you think listeners missed us? No. From when we were gone a few seconds ago? No, absolutely not. I missed you. I'm sitting in the same room as you. Anyway, now you're back. We're back. We're here to talk about this week's, or this month's, I don't know, whatever, this month's edition of Twim URC West Coast. Uh, we chose Supervillain Team Up, Modax 11. You chose. I chose. Um... By Fred Van Lente and Francis Portella. Uh, I won't lie, the main impetus for me choosing this book was just to Modoc block uh, Ryan. Um, and it's also a fantastic book. It's There's no real, like, oh, this is one of the greatest comic books of all time thing or anything, or, like, it's not super important to continuity. It's just a really, really, really fun time. Like, I would love to, you know, in 20 years from now, when the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just, you know, going bonkers and doing even kookier things, I'd love to see a Modox 11 uh, movie one of these days. Starring John Hodgman as Modoc. I was thinking starring Ryan Penagos as Modoc. Oh, uh, he'll be long dead. In 20 years? Yeah. Oh, you, you do not have a lot of faith. He, Ryan's a pretty healthy guy. He exercises a lot. He eats right. But he's on airplanes like twice a week. That's true. That is true. Um, so 
Mox 11. What did you think? You hadn't read this before, Patrick, had you? No. No, I had. So what did you think? I kind of wish it was called Modox 4 or 5. Because that's there's the actual number of people no, loyal well, just to Modoc. Because there's so much constantly happening, I feel like, in every page. And these are all... I don't know. Would it be would it be giving them too much credit to say that they're C list villains, or would they yeah. be like D list? Oh, they're D list. I love them. I, some of them are C list. Some of them are D list. But that's the other. That's the thing that I love about the series is that there is so much going on at all times, and it's the weirdest assortment of villain. Like you've got Puma, and you've got Big Wheel, and you've got. Uh, Nightshade. The spot. The spot. Oh, the spot. The spot is awesome. I've always had, I've always loved the spot since his appearance in the uh, Spider-Man Ant-Man series from the 90s. Uh, because I thought his powers were so weird. You could just like, like how, how does he create those weird, when he's not there, how can he create a black hole in wherever he wants and just pop off? How does that work? I don't know. It's so cool though. And yeah. then Modoc finds out how he does it. Yeah, and when and Modoc takes advantage of it. Um, well, it seemed it seemed like uh, well, this came out two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I think. Uh, it was around the Secret Invasion time. Yeah, a little bit. I think it's two thousand seven. I think it's two thousand seven. Yeah. And so it seemed like um, it's a little before Secret Invasion because they reference World War Hulk, which would have been the most right. recent event, and that happened in two thousand seven. It seems like uh, Fred t- spoke to the powers that be and said, I'm going to do this heist thing uh, orchestrated by MODOK, and I'm going to pull in these half dozen D-list villains. And somebody said, "Like, well, that's not enough content for a five-issue book. You need to bump that up to 11. You need to combine 11. I, I I feel like the main impetus for the 11 might have been a film. Like, a, yes, I understand of, that. Are, are you, does, does Mr. Patrick, I do nothing but watch movies, Wolfman, Kavanaugh, uh, not understand the Ocean's Eleven's reference? No, I absolutely understood no, the Ocean's it, it didn't Eleven seem reference. Like you did. It didn't seem like but you it, did. I think this tarnishes your credibility as a film uh, connoisseur. What I'm getting at is were there only half a dozen of these D-list heroes, that wouldn't have been enough clout to get this book off the ground. But uh, to double that and say, oh, well, Ocean's Eleven, 11 of these crummy villains – that's enough to get the book off the ground. You know what? Stop disparaging these villains, okay? Some of them just... No, they're uh, terrible. Just, just have, haven't had the best... Uh, the best uh, like, for instance, they, they haven't had the best, you know, uh, knocks in life. I mean, Spot, right? You read Mark Wade's Daredevil run. Yep. Remember uh, the coyote, the guy who used the Spot's technology and became terrifying? Yep. See, it's not it's not that they're D-list villains. It's just that they're bad criminals. It's the same reason I love the Shocker because the Shocker is and this this seems like the perfect book that the Shocker could have been in. And if anything, I fault Fred Van Lente for not putting the Shocker in there. How dare you, Fred? Um 
He's not listening to this. Yeah, but the the shocker was he's just like a two bit blue collar criminal that sort of you know happened to have these shocker gauntlets. But just because he has the gauntlets doesn't mean he's necessarily a better criminal. He's just he's still a bad criminal just with fancy tech. I feel like some of these guys are the same way. Like I felt really bad for Armadillo. Like poor guy. He's just he just wants to make some money, but he's a giant armadillo, so clearly nobody will employ him. <laughs> like, all he can resort to is uh, some, like, uh, back alley wrestling in Mexico. Uh, I did like that there were Cap Wolf references. No, well, not references to the Cap Wolf story we read, but references to the original time Captain America became a werewolf. Damn. Well, because Nightshade was the villain back during Steve Englehart's run on Captain America, uh, where uh, well, not to the Night- Cap Wolf storyline, but, but to, to the Captain concept a, yes. of because Nightshade transformed both Captain America and and the Falcon into uh, into wolves back in back in the seventies. That's great. Can always use more wolves. Uh, so you appreciate that Nightshade had a werewolf serum just on her? Yeah. Yeah. Managed to transform the puma into uh, the puma again. Yeah. Good for her <laughs> to carry that on her. I also love the fact that the Mandarin shows up in this. Just it's not even. I, I've. I'm I'm actually a little lost in the continuity here because I yeah, was not that's, aware. That was my issue with everything going on. Is I, just stuff was constantly happening. I, uh, but but it was very rare at the time. But you know what? You don't really need to understand why the Mandarin is dead and why his son is doing it because you just need to know that, okay, I guess the Mandarin was dead at this point in time and his son wants to, you know, take his ashes back to the McLuhan ship and uh, raise that and destroy everything in his father's honor and uh, spread, his, spread his ashes over uh, the ruins of Beijing. Um, but see, like that's 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 what I like about this too is that it's it's clean because yes, there's clearly some larger continuity stuff like going on and stuff like that, but Fred keeps it rooted into like the basics of what you need to know. Like it's not important if you're reading it and you're like, wait, why is the Mandarin dead? That's not important. What's important is he's dead. He's got a son who now has his rings. His son wants to do his thing. It's very pure in that way. Like, and that's and that's another thing that I really enjoy about this, and that I think allows it to be more humorous, is that the motivations of the characters aren't super complicated. The motivations are sort of laid out. Puma needs money for his legal fees. Armadillo needs money because no one else will give him any. Nightshade needs money because she's completely unemployable and can't be a doctor because she's self-taught um modok needs well you don't find out modok's motivation until the very end but modok needs this MacGuffin just to get revenge on his ex-girlfriend and blow her up and all of aim yeah i think i now have a better understanding of why you picked this knowing what the end was and that Modoc just wanted to murder a girl he had a crush on and I can say oh that's something Mark can relate to oh, for God's sakes so 
in this climate of men being terrifying and I I felt really uncomfortable that Modoc murdered a girl that Yeah, Modoc murdered a girl. He murdered the so, organization that was I believe responsible for him, which 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 just happened to be headed up by his not even ex-girlfriend, because again, like she keeps on pointing exactly. out Exactly. It's was not his ex-girlfriend. It's like you're reading you're reading creeptastic levels into this story. No, what when the final page is Modoc exclaiming, <laughs> I've gotten revenge on my ex-girlfriend. That like I said, in 2007, when the internet wasn't as terrifying, that you know, haha, silly, just uh, uh, not reading too much into it. But it just kind of bummed me out that, and it wasn't like, oh, I've foiled her plans and gotten her thrown in jail. It's I murdered a girl that I liked who rejected me. So. You you can't. But she wasn't. She okay. But she wasn't exactly the. I mean, she she was evil. Okay. I'm you, just saying. You can't tell me. These are two evil people. You're not gonna tell me. These are two bad guys. These are sure. two bad guys going against sure. each other. Sure. This is, this is like Magneto and the Red Skull going. Maybe that's bad. That's a, that's You're a, going a, nowhere with these analogies no, and these metaphors. No. You can't it's not tell metaphor, me. It's an analogy. You can't tell me that you didn't get a little twinge of, eh, maybe that's a little overboard. <laughs> no, because it's funny. I guess it's, I guess if you want to say it's funny to murder a girl no. who does not reciprocate oh, feelings my, no. towards you. No, this is, this, this is, this is. This has gone so far off the rails. No, it hasn't. No. And like I said, I can understand 2007 with the internet not being as terrifying. Yes. But reading it now, that that was a bummer. <laughs> All right. Well, wait, why is my phone buzzing at me? Oh, um, <laughs> I was just making sure we weren't late for a meeting or something. Oh. Um, <laughs> No, but look, all right, let's look at this thing just as a heist story. It's a fun, amusing heist story. Well, it's also a twinge of, eh, maybe that's a little overboard. <laughs> no, because it's funny. I guess it's, I guess if you want to say it's funny to murder a girl no. who does not reciprocate oh, feelings no. towards you. No, this is, this, this is, this is, this is gone so far off the rails no it hasn't no and like i said i can understand 2007 with the internet not being as terrifying yes but reading it now that that was a bummer all right well wait why is my phone buzzing at me oh um i was just making sure we weren't late for a meeting or something oh. um <laughs> No, but I mean, look, all right, let's look at this thing just as a heist story. It's a fun, amusing heist story. Well, it's also, uh, think, think about thinking about comics in general and how seldom characters just get 
murdered, like important characters get murdered for any... Are you just determined to say the word murder as much as you can in this podcast? That's what happens. (laughs) Are you denying that? You know, like, okay, how many times do supervillains get put in jail or seemingly killed only to come back in six months or a year or however many years? Many times. Okay, but it, but it's still generally surprising just to be like, oh, they get completely destroyed in an explosion. Yes. Where are you going with this? Just that it's surprising at all to see like, oh, that – like if Puma had just gotten blown up and killed. But he that, didn't. Right. But I'm saying if he had gotten killed, that would be kind of surprising and like, oh, wow, that's kind of extreme to just kill off that character completely. Uh that that's another reason. Not entirely just the uh, the the ex girlfriend revenge plot. Oh my god, are we still talking about? Yeah, because you're trying to belittle what my thoughts were on the ending. I'm not trying to be. I'm trying. To, I was trying to make a point, and you're cutting me off. That for any character to just get killed off, that was surprising. So I was also surprised. That this character just got killed off at the end of this story. I didn't know her before the story, but I was surprised that it was just like, oh, boom, now she's dead. All right, let's see what people online had to say about this. Well, we got Patch. Oh, wait, you're handing it to me. All right, fine. I'll take it. <coughs> and I'll proceed to cough. <laughs> um, you're supposed to read the paper, not try to swallow it. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Rob Nolan, Nolan, at Ref Gemlin, says, behind on my podcast, I'm plowing through my trade, so didn't get a chance to read Mox 11 for TwinMRC. Sadly, great pick, though, Mox 11. It's one of those great stories that take villains you might not think much of and generates an awesome, fun story. If anything, it's got that Thunderbolts vibe to it with no redemption and could be seen as a precursor to superior foes. It very much is a... Which goes back to my comment about the Shocker and how much the Shocker would fit in here since the Shocker was one of the regulars in Superior Foes. We should really do Superior Foes for our next one. Maybe maybe that was a keep premonition. It, maybe keep it, keep it in, keep maybe in the villain. Rob Nolan inadvertently picked the next pick for West Coast. He may have. Um, do you want to read Penelope Cat? Penelope Cat. This week's Twim Your C selection is Modox 11. I'm a sucker for heist stories, so this should be a lot of fun. I love the recap of Modoc's origin. Love that he did it to impress a girl and loved how it all came together in the end. I'm also a sucker for stories about what the villains are up to in between the superhero stories they appear in. You've got to figure that being a Marvel supervillain has to involve more than just getting beat up by heroes. Or why do it? That's that's a good point. Uh, they although, did. They did make these the uh, villains that made out did make ten million two hundred fifty thousand dollars each. Although and I'm sure they don't need to put that on their tax returns. So. I I think the fact that they're super villains just kind of implies what they're up to in their spare time. Bad stuff. Uh, it's great how Van Lenti takes the standard tropes of the heist story, like the sudden double cross, and turns them up to eleven, much like Modoc's eleven. 
Ultimately, I think I was expecting more of a laugh riot like Modoc Assassin, but instead got a great crime comic, loads of fun. Uh, Raph AB had one tweet and said, Modoc's 11, with a name like that, you can guess it's gonna be a heist comic. So, yes, Mark, I understand that something, name of persons so 11 at, at DJ Fanco, is going to be a reference at to DJ the Fanco Rat says, Pack movie. At DJ Fanco said, not, no, not the Rat Pack, Brad Pitt and Steven Soderbergh. Which is a remake Julia of the Roberts, Rat Pack movie. George Clooney. Which is a remake of no, the, the Rat Pack no, movie. No, the Rat Pack remade Soderbergh's. You're implying that there's some sort of time travel. Like, I'm not implying time travel. I'm implying I'm implying linear time. First there was Soderbergh's, then there was the Rat Packs, then there was Soderbergh's Ocean 12, and then there's Soderbergh's Ocean 13. I think you're drunk. <laughs> On life. Oh boy. Uh, at DJ Fanco says, "Good thing Modox 11 is a main series because the first issue, while full of funny non sequiturs, was all set up." It kind of was. Is that traditional? It felt a lot like the first like 15 or 20 minutes of a, of a heist movie where you're sort of just like, you know, meeting the crew, getting everything set up. Uh, and then I'm 100% on board with the opening of issue two. Inclusion of they might be giants lyrics is instant winning. With all the backstabbing, comedic incompetence, and pointless Mormon insult, I thought I was ringing superior foes. Again. See, I think I think this is uh, I think this is a sign, but the story wrapped up nicely. Multi-layer confrontation of the final issue was fun. I especially enjoyed the bit where Puma gets his powers back, but then there's the comedic reveal. It is a humorous turn. The characterizations were spot on. The villains were villainous, cowardly, superstitious, greedy, and intolerant. I loved the way Francis Portella snuck in references to. Mazinger Z and Big Trouble in Little China. Did you catch those? No. Well, somebody doesn't love Big Trouble in Little China as much as they claim to. Yeah, you. Me? You. No. You don't even know what Ocean's Eleven is. Okay. Uh, all right, well, that was short but sweet. Uh, next Crap. two weeks from now. East Coast will be doing another Twim URC. They will be doing X Factor versus Apocalypse. Um, right? At one point, I think Modoc got called a dullard. Oh, now, like now we're going back to your notes. Okay. M men is it Mentalo or Mentalo? Mentalo. He kept saying Bubbala. And, and Boychik. I don't know what that means. Boychik, it's, it's, it's like Yiddish, I believe. Uh... At, you know, somebody bullshit. says somebody said at some point uh, that something stunk like poopy. Uh, there's a Partridge Family reference, which I think even in 2007 might have been a little dated. I wonder how many people no. in 2007 knew who the Partridge Family no. were. Um, there's I I wrote down. Does Modoc have a butt? Because I think yeah, because there's because a line. Armadi Armadillo says something about like busting a cap in his tuchus. I think he has a butt. And then he said, Is, "If he even has one." He, yeah, I think he does. And yep, next week, next in two weeks, 
East Coast is doing X Factor versus Apocalypse. They didn't give us issue numbers. If nope. I had to take a wild guess, I'd say it was probably X Factor 24, 25, 26. There may be some extra ones. Maybe X Factor number six in there. I don't know. Ask, tweet at Ben J. Morse. Ask him what they're doing and tell him that you're a huge fan of the Wolfman. That's not going to happen. Anyway, I think we're actually signing off on this one. So. Thank you all for listening. As usual, I apologize for the Wolfman. Tune in next week. Until then, this is Marvel, your universe. This week!